0: Or Zechariah 9.9 and Mark 11. Um, We're going to look at uh, some things from uh, this coming week. Uh, Just want to go ahead and let you know, at the end of the service, we're going to take communion. I hope you have already gotten that. Uh, There is a gluten-free option for those who need that back there. But um, if you're not a believer in Christ, you shouldn't take communion, okay? That's our only stipulation. We don't care what other denominational label you wear. If you're a believer in Christ, you absolutely can partake with us. And uh, you may be here right now saying, I'm not a believer in Christ. But maybe today God's going to do something in your heart and life. And during this service, you may want to give your life to God. And if that happens, we hope you do. And we hope you take communion with us, okay? So I just want to go ahead and and warn you about that. We're going to be looking. This is... Palm Sunday, right? The triumphal entry. You may not know what that is, or you may have heard it a thousand times. Um, as a pastor, uh, you know, we kind of feel pressured that we have to preach on that on that day. We ought to preach on something, you know, we ought to preach a Christmas story different times. We ought to preach the Easter story different times. Uh, but I could spend the whole year preaching on the last week of Jesus' life. I don't know if you realize it or not, but I think it's uh, about two-thirds of the Gospels it's just about one week in Jesus' life, and it's the last week uh, before his death and resurrection. And, uh, and, and that one week, that is, is the most in there. So every year, you know, you kind of like pick and choose. I'm going to look at the first three days, and of course we can't talk about everything. I wish we could. Uh, but we're going to see three good lessons from that, three good principles out of that that we can apply in our own life. Uh, if you will follow along with me, I want to read Zechariah 9.9 9, uh, to start off. This is the prophecy of him uh, for triumphal uh, entry or Palm Sunday. And it says this in Zechariah 9.9. 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, of a donkey, Zechariah points out how Jesus would enter into Jerusalem. Uh, right there in in that text, this is the week before Jesus's uh, crucifixion, death on the cross. And uh, and when we we speak of that, so many times we talk about it as if he weren't coming back from the dead. You know, the, the, the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Number one, every other religion is man's attempt to get to God. Christianity is God's attempt to bring us to himself. It's a total different thing. Secondly, the founder of every other religion is still dead as a wedge in their tomb. But Jesus is not. He rose on the third day and is seated in heaven with the Father even now as we meet this morning. And so I want us to remember that. I want us to hold on to that. And as we're going to look at these first few days, I want you to, let's pause a moment. I just want to pray again and ask God to be with us. Would you pray with me if you're a believer? Ask God to give us protection. Ask God to uh, open our minds uh, as we read. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prediction in Zechariah. We thank you that that a promise is made and then you kept your promise. You did that over and over and over in the word. And so, God, I, I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you Uh, that that you let us know you through your word, through the living word, Jesus, through the written word, the scriptures that we have. And God, we pray this day you would open our eyes, our mind, to behold wonderful things in your word. And that, Lord, you would speak to our heart. We ask you to bind our enemy, to keep him away from us. Lord, give us freedom so that we can hear from you, that we can think clearly. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I mentioned about about dying. Because when someone is dying. And they know they're dying. You know they're dying. They're going to be careful what they say. Usually. They, they usually have something they want to say. If they know that they're about to die. In fact. In the laws of this land. If a person is dying. And they know. In, in a tragic situation. Like they were the victim of a, of a crime. They can. What they say. To a policeman. As in so and so. Did this is admissible in court. Otherwise, we call that hearsay, and you can't give hearsay in a court. you got to have facts. And so it's so important if someone can speak before they die in that situation that the court will accept that testimony. So as Jesus is coming, we kind of see this same thing happening, maybe in a broader way. Jesus, as you know, went up on a mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember who showed up? Moses and Elijah, right. I like to throw pop quizzes in there in case you didn't know that um, and and what you may not know is Jesus was declaring to the forces that have been fighting him all along that I am the Messiah, that this is going to happen, that that I'm going uh, to to save mankind, and as this, and after that happened, we see in the New Testament, he starts telling his disciples very clearly, very plainly, over and over and over what is going to happen. Now, the Bible is an honest book. I don't know if you realize that or not. It's so honest that, that John writes when he's talking about all this, but we didn't understand it. Now, you don't do that when you want to look good in front of people. You, you pretend, you know, oh, I got that. Yep, sure enough. And then you go home and go, honey, what, what's going on there? I, you know, I didn't quite catch that. Or you Google it, or you do something. Well, Jesus is being very honest and it, it seems to be building as he goes toward his death. So we see this kind of movement in scripture and, and we come to this, this final week. Trust me, there was never an accident or misstep in Jesus' life. But in this week, every detail we can read in the Bible is very important. And and I'm going to just look at Mark 11. I may mention some other things that we find in other places. But there's something I want you to take home with you today. And that is that Holy Week defines the life that we should live. It defines the life we should live because... Jesus does some stuff during this week that we ought to take note of. He said, well, I'm not Jesus, I can't do it. No, you can do greater things than he did, is what he said. Now, you can't die for other people's sin, I get that. Only Jesus could do that for us, right? But he promised us the Holy Spirit who would work through us. And so the principle of what he did is very real for us, and it's very real in our life. And so uh, if you'll indulge me, I've already read the, the the Prediction of this, but in Mark 11, if you will uh, look down uh, where, um, sorry, to where Jesus actually gets on uh, the donkey, and that is, yeah, verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they cut from the fields." And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, the only thing the Jewish people knew was that the Messiah was going to be in the family of David. This is a greeting found in Psalm. And any pilgrim coming to Jerusalem, if a Jewish person saw them, they would say, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. It was a blessing that as you got there coming in for Passover, that you would be blessed, that you would realize that you're coming uh, to Yahweh's town, Yahweh's country, and it's a thing that Yahweh did for the Jewish people. And, And so this is what happens to Jesus. He fulfills this prophecy of Zechariah. Uh, As a kid, I couldn't understand why he picked a donkey instead of a horse. But I've learned that, that, you know, a king usually is riding a horse in victory and battle and all that. But when he came back, he would trade the horse for a donkey to show it's an animal of peace. Nobody rides a donkey into war except Don Quixote, right? (laughs) And that war was a windmill, so, you know. And that's pretty loose. I'm sure some literature person is going to fuss at me later. Well, that's not the whole story. I know, I don't get it. But anyway... A donkey was a sign of peace. It's been at peace. And Zechariah predicted not only that he'd ride a donkey, but his, the donkey's mom would be with him. And only one of the Gospels even points that out. But it's there. And Jesus is riding this donkey who's never been ridden by anyone else. Now just think about that for a second. Number one, it's not broken. It's not rideable. And yet he rode it. But number two, no other man has used it but the king's going to use it. It's been preserved for his use by God, but that's where we are. Never thought about that, but I caught that. Somebody just said went, wow, that's really really good for us to, to catch that. And Jesus, by riding in on that donkey, he's fulfilling all this prophecy that was said about him. And... He is making a statement, I am the king of the Jews. When we see this, we just see it from a physical world perspective. But we we have to go back, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, into the unseen world. Jesus is declaring who he is, not to men as much as to his enemies, the spiritual, those who've been in rebellion against him since Satan wanted to become like God. And as he rides in, he's making the statement, I am the king of kings, not just king of the Jews. I'm the king of all mankind. The victor always rode a donkey, but did you think about this? He hasn't actually won the victory yet, has he? He hasn't fought the battle yet. He has been fighting the battle, but he hasn't gone to the cross, been buried, and rose again yet. So he's declaring victory before the fight. Now we call that trash talk, right? We call that boasting. Unless you can do it. And Jesus could certainly do it. And so the victor always rode a donkey. He is declaring himself the victor. He's the first one to have ridden it. It was an honor for the king. Now, I, I want to say this gently. But what were the people yelling? They're yelling Hosanna, which means save us, save us, or God save us. Blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus has obviously come in the name of Yahweh. That is their Lord, right? That donkey would have been foolish to think all that was for him. Jesus is the point of our attention, right? Not us. We're just the little donkey Jesus rides. So when people start praising and worshiping, we ought to praise and worship with them. We ought to thank God for that. It's an honor for the king. And notice what I said earlier. That donkey had been preserved for the king. So our lives ought to preserve, be preserved to glorify God alone. You following me? You with me? I'm not saying we don't, aren't thankful. We don't give accolades. People deserve it. But what I'm saying is our highest praise, our highest worship, the highest motivation in our life ought to be to worship and honor the God who loved us and came and put on flesh and dwelt with us and saved us from our sin. Secondly, this signals the beginning of the kingdom. But it's not a kingdom of geography. It will be. But so far, it's a kingdom of men. And again, I'll say a little bit more about this in the next point. But he has enlisted us in his army to have victory in the spiritual world for men to be saved. You see what I'm saying? You following that? It's a kingdom of peace, not of peace between kings and nations, but between men and God. It will be one day a physical kingdom on this planet. Just go read the end of Revelation if you don't want to get through all of it. Read the last few chapters and you'll figure that out. This world will be here when Jesus comes back. We're not going to destroy it no matter what anybody else says, okay? That's not an excuse to mistreat it. But don't get hyper about it. It's okay. It's going to be here. But this is the beginning of the kingdom. And we're supposed to be citizens of the kingdom. So we better listen to what the king of the kingdom tells us. But we can listen because he's brought peace between us and God. He didn't have to please us. He had to please God. And Jesus became the lamb of God that takes away our sin. So that God could turn his face back toward us with love and pleasure. Because God is too pure than to look on sin. And so God took that on himself. Jesus in the flesh did that for us. But there's a third thing that you got to notice about all this. It's not the king that the people expected. They were looking for someone to get rid of Rome. Don't we do the same thing today? We want a leader that makes our life peaceable. We want a leader that's going to keep our enemies at bay. and That's not wrong. But they were looking for their own kingdom in their own land. But Jesus came to establish a kingdom that was worldwide. It's not limited to one ethnic group, to one nation, to one people group. It is for all people. And that's where uh, the Jewish people had gotten messed up. God created the Jewish people and gave them that land that they would influence the whole world to turn toward God. And of course, they did not do that. And this was the plan from the beginning. The Bible tells us this was the plan before the foundation of the world. And so, if we're going to worship Jesus, He has given us proof that He is that Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, for our benefit so that we can know God. Secondly, on the second day, that that happened on Sunday. On Monday, we see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look um, down again, uh, it says He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, and this is uh, verse 12 uh, through 19, but I started in the middle of it. Those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers, seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Something I skipped over, I just want to tell you because it's going to come important. The next point is on the way in that morning, he saw a fig tree and he was hungry and he went over to it. And there was no figs and he cursed it. So just remember that. We'll come back to that in a minute. And he goes on in. And when he gets there, he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple is what we call it. He drives out those who are in there making a profit for those who came to worship God. He's saying that is not what this is all about. You see Jesus is the king. And he's declared that his house ought to be a house of prayer. For all the nations. Did you catch that in the text? It says for all the nations. In other words everybody is welcome to come in. And that uh, is in verse 17. My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Nations, He is declaring, it's not just for the Jew, it's for all people. Jew and Gentile. Not throwing them out. They're, they can be saved too, but they have to come through Jesus to be saved. It is a house of prayer for all the nations. If you'll think back with me to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, God dispersed the nations. Men got together of one language. They're building a... Uh, for a lack of a better term, just so we can all grab it real quick, an astrology tower. They were up there worshiping the stars. They weren't trying to, they didn't think they could build a tower that would actually reach into heaven. They were building a tower to get on top of, to examine the stars and to, to go into a, a, a dark, black, sinful spirituality. And God confused their languages and scattered the nations and said, you're going to live there and you're going to live there and you're going to live there. And he even put spiritual rulers over them. We see it in Daniel. We see Paul talking about our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and those in tall places. And in Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 9, we find that God wants us to pray for all the nations. They're, they're, it, it's put in there. God had set the boundaries But God wants to bring them to the subjection of Christ. And so in Psalm 2, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God until all the nations are made His footstool. So God is wanting this world to come to know Him. And He's going to be the King of all the nations. But how's He going to do that? Through us. He wants us to be a house of prayer. Now, Now, I'm going to ask you a trick question. So I'm telling you it's a trick question. You'll know not to, not to answer right away. Is this building we're sitting in, is this the house of God? That's a trick question. It's not. It's just a building. The only reason it has any spiritual significance is because we have decided and declared that it does because we meet here to worship God together. But this spot is only made holy by us being here. If we're not here, it's just a building. Because now he lives in his people. Before he lived in a building where his people could come, the temple that they built. Now he said, you're going to be the temple. I'm going to live in you. And he's written his word in our heart. He took out our heart of stone, gave us a heart of flesh. He put his word in our heart. He lives with us. He stays with us. He said, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will be with you. And so what do you do with the king's house? Because you live in it if you know the Lord, if you've ever stopped and said, I need Jesus, I'm lost, I, I'm, I'm not going to heaven when I die, I, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I, I, I've got no hope, then today you can open your life, say, yes, Jesus, come in, take over, I want to follow you, and he will come and live with you and he'll never leave you. We are the house of God, therefore we ought to act like we're the house of God. And then when we do that, all of us individually and we get together, how powerful is that? It becomes holy ground when two or three of us get together. God is with us when we're all by ourselves, but two of us get together, look out. Three, wow, look around. We got a couple hundred plus in here, maybe 300. That's pretty awesome. God made us a promise and we're holding to it, right? But it's if we pray. Now the question becomes, well, what do we pray for? Are we praying for God's will to be done? Are we praying that he would use us in the battle against evil forces to rescue people who are lost and go into hell to come into the kingdom of God? Jesus didn't die for me to get well when I got sick. To make me rich in this world, he died that I might know God and go live with him forever that's the promise and some people have an easy life some people have a tough life but at the end we all stand before God and we're judged by what we did with the life he gave us right? and Jesus cries out here this is supposed to be a house of prayer you see those people were using the temple for selfish gain sometimes we use our bodies for selfish gain be it power or pleasure or money or whatever but we're called our bodies are to be used for God's glory. That fixes almost every sin in the Bible, by the way, right? That our lives, our bodies all belong to him and we live to honor him. And Jesus declares this when he cleanses the temple. Well, you remember that old fig tree? We see a prophecy come true. The next morning, this is Tuesday morning, that's verse 12. On the following day, they came from, I'm, I'm sorry, verse um, verse 20. And they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. I never understood what Jesus said next. I mean, look what he said. And Jesus answered, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whatever you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea. And then he goes from that, whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive. When you look at this in Matthew, excuse me. When you look at this in Matthew, and I think in Luke, he takes off. He's he's talking end times. I mean, it's chapters long. He is describing what's going to be happening just before he comes back. He starts talking about prophecy. If I told a fig tree to die and the next day it was dead, and you heard me and you went, hey, look, you told that tree to die and it died. I go, yep, that's right. That's cool, isn't it? Isn't that what you'd say? or Yeah, I know. But not Jesus. He starts talking. Why? Because what he did, he did in faith. And he wants you to live by faith. That's why here he says, whatever you ask will be done. Because what does he want us to ask? He wants us to ask for the nations for his inheritance. He wants us to ask for Stanton for his inheritance. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. He he is going to reclaim it as his own. Right now, his enemy is holding court in a lot of places, isn't he? Sometimes even here. But Jesus shows His power, and He's also showing, by the way, just as I would say it as a side note, it's really important. But the fig tree always represents Ju- Judaism; it represents the Jewish people, and He's saying that old way's done; it's gone. We are now living by faith. There's not a bunch of rules you got to keep to show your faith. Now you got to love one another. You got to tell people about Me. You got to witness about the plan of God for everyone to come into the kingdom. And so Judaism and the the sacrificial system will no longer suffice. It's not good enough. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. You want to read it on your own. He said the blood of bulls and goats weren't strong enough to, to cleanse our conscience from our sin. But Jesus died once for all and he clears our conscience. He takes away our sin by what he did. And Jesus wants us to live by faith. He wants us to believe in him and walk in faith. By the way, does there anybody in here know exactly what's going to happen to you tomorrow? Yeah. yeah, none of us, right? We don't really know. If you read your horoscope, let me just tell you, it is a horror. They don't know either. But God does. So in the morning when you get up, shouldn't you say, Lord, what are we doing today? I'm here, use me as you will. I want to be in your plan. I want to do what you want to do. Because I understand you told us a lot of chapters about how you're going to wind this whole thing up. And I want to be part of helping it wind up. We want the kingdom to come. We want to see it. Paul said the whole creation groans under this burden that we're under, this fallen state. And we want Jesus to make all things new. We want it all to be different. We, we each one individually experience that when he comes in our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a brand new creation, old things pass away, everything becomes new. All of us need to be a new man in the, same, in the same suit of skin or a new woman. We need to be a new person in the same skin. And only Jesus can do that. And he wants to do that. He wants to change your life. Radically change it so you can be useful for him. If the prophecy of Zechariah, Jesus, he rode in on that donkey to show, I am that dude. And then he tells us what he's going to do. We can trust him. Right? He has shown himself to be trustworthy and to be the fulfiller of these prophecies. And so we ought to believe him and we ought to live by faith. He wants us to live in power. We are not without power. You say, well, how much power do we have? You you remember that movie, Remember the Titans? How much power do you have? I got this kind of power. I got that kind of power. We have the power of God living in a clay pot. The Holy Spirit lives with us. The power of God is there. Not to use willy-nilly to do magic tricks. You know, to have lightning bolts come out of our fingers. You know, x-ray or... Uh, heat vision out of our eyes no we've got the power of God to see a life transformed and changed from death to life that is the ultimate power of God and he dwells in us that we can tell others about him and so he sends us into battle with a promise I'll be with you and when he came back from the dead which I'm getting ahead of myself that's next week The Bible says in Romans, declaring himself to be the son of God with power by rising from the dead. And it says, if he lives, we too will live. Since he's come back from the dead, we too will come back from the dead. And that we will be with him. There's three things I just want you to think about and apply in your life this week. Besides what I've already told you. Jesus is Lord is more than a catchphrase. You can't say Jesus is Lord if you're not listening and obeying what he says. And he said, I give you a new commandment, love one another. We covered that last week. If you are failing in that, you might have check your salvation. Secondly, what are you hoping to gain by Jesus being your Lord? Are you looking at a selfish motivation? Man, if I get saved, God's going to do this and this and this for me. Or are you following a king saying, I'm here to serve you. What do you want? I, and, and there's no limit to my service. You know, it's like the guy called, told his girlfriend, man, I'll climb the highest mountain, cross the widest sea. And she said, well, could you come over? He said, I can't, it's raining. Right? It's kind of like we are as Christians. we like, oh yeah, Lord, I'll do anything. Well, why don't you go knock on your neighbor's door and give them a pie and tell them that Jesus loves them? Well, can you think of something else, Lord? I don't want to do that. Right? We don't want to witness. We don't want to just be nice to people and Tell them about Jesus a little bit. So what are you hoping to gain by Jesus being Lord? You don't gain, what you gain is eternal life. You don't come to him and say, you're the Lord, but here's what I want you to do. You come and say, you're the Lord, what do you want me to do? And thirdly, if Jesus is Lord, where's the fruit in your life that he is? If you claim Jesus is Lord, where in your life does it show that you know him?